Ricky and I are, uh, well, the whole Franklin family for sure, but uh, in, in a, a ministry context, uh, Ricky and I go back um, 18 years. Yeah, something like that, almost 18 years. Um, when we very first moved in and, uh, and came here and God sent us to Fort Worth and Dallas and um, God has moved significantly over those years and it has been a real um, honor to share it. Uh, we, we share successes, we share failure, we share all kinds of stuff together and, and uh, it's just been really neat to see how New Day came and, and moved into the elementary school across the street from our house. And we were serving at a, a local church in the same city on staff there. And they moved from the elementary school, then they moved to the middle school, then they moved from the middle school out to Alta Vista into uh, some facilities out there. And then God merged them here. And where they're going next in terms of expansion and growth and revival, I don't mean in terms of like city or, or leaving. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying is it's just been such a privilege to watch God expand their influence and expand their anointing and expand uh, the, the advancing of the kingdom through their life. Ricky's more than a friend. He's a brother. And I'm really honored to be able to, to be here today with you and to minister to you. Um, we are going to talk out of an extremely familiar passage in uh, 1 Samuel 17. And that's the story of David and Goliath. But as we, as we read it today, I want you to, and I'm going to help you draw some correlations between an epic confrontation in Israel's history and the church's responsibility in this hour where we face our own Goliaths, uh, COVID being one of them, uh, racism being one of them, uh, the spirit of fear really operating right now, rampant, in America, rampant even globally, but really, really, really rampant, sad to say, in the church. This is not an anti-COVID message. This is not an anti-mask message. This is an anti-fear message. I am all about the responsibility of the disease that is facing many people in the nation and especially in the church. My own father right now is, is literally fighting for his life in the ICU in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, he has COVID. He's been on a ventilator for oh, almost 20 days, 30 days, something like that. Um, good news is he's no longer in isolation. Uh, so they've, he's allowed to have one visitor a day. Um, and the not good news is he's still on a ventilator and he's still sedated and he still doesn't know what's going on. So uh, my whole family had it, ran through our family uh, three weeks ago. Um, so I can't catch it. I can't give it. That's why I'm wearing my green bracelet. So I'm, you just come up, hug me, kiss me, whatever you want to do. 
Um, so I, I recognize the reality of where we are in the church and where we are in the nation. And I applaud responsibility, caution, maturity. I applaud taking a, a, an approach that has wisdom, kingdom principles, and, and biblical wisdom. But we have to make sure that our motivation in what we're doing and where we're going and how we're doing it, that our motivation for doing it has no fear in it at all for any reason. Fear is not of God. First Timothy he says he has not given us a spirit of fear. Many translations say timidity. We're not to be timid in this time. This honestly, where churches and, and, and being in Fort Worth and being a part of multiple uh, ministerial coalitions in that area, there are churches that have said we're not opening until there's a vaccine. Guys, this is our finest hour right now. We shine best in the midst of adversity, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of fear. We carry the kingdom in us. And so we have the opportunity to present, not, not um, let me say it this way. When we witness in, in a time where everything's okay and everybody's fine and, and there's no resistance in the, in, the, in the atmosphere, there's no resistance in, in the community, a lot of times our message gets mixed in with other ways. People interpret Christianity as a way. People interpret Jesus as a possibility compared to Muhammad or Buddhism or any other way. When, when everything's normal, when everything's just kind of, if, if the church just kind of is available. But that's not what Jesus called us to do. We, we need to be advancing. We need to be producing a, uh, a choice. We need to be ramping up the temperature to where people either have to repent or run screaming. I mean, we really need a, a, a hard, clear-cut decision. Now, in this situation, I promise you right now, Buddha can't answer this. Muhammad can't answer this. Jesus has answered this. It's already been answered. To tell us die, it is finished, already declared on the cross. So we have an opportunity that is before us to make it abundantly clear what is light and what is dark, what is truth and what is not. Now, we can do that not only through releasing the, the reality of the kingdom in signs, wonders, and miracles, which we should be doing. All of us should be doing that. That is not a, a ministry, that is not a gifting that is reserved for leadership. We need to be modeling that so that you know what to do and how to do it. 
But a lot of times in church, we kind of get confused with, well, I need to get near that person, or I need to go to that leader, or I need to be in that meeting, or I need their anointing. No, 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 no. We, we are, according to Ephesians 4, we are on display for the church. Jesus gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So the healing line should start in row three, seat four. You know, it doesn't have to start in the altar, and it certainly doesn't have to start from the pulpit. So we can model things so that so the opportunity right now in the church for the leadership is to model what does the church look like in this hour, in this season, because the old ways are gone. The, 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 the days of, of people coming to church, sitting, listening to a message, getting inspired, taking that message, sticking it in their pocket, and going out the door and going on with their life as normal, those days are gone. Thank God those days are gone. Now we come together, we hear from the Word of God, we are inspired to not just Oh, that was a nice sermon. Thank you. That was interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. No, now we take that and we go out and we do. Well, but, but we're being told not to do. We do anyway. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in this hour. If he tells you to put on a mask and go to a, to a grocery store... Put on a mask and go to a grocery store. If he tells you to go next door, if, if you begin the opportunity to interact with people, you're going to have to interact with them in the way that they're comfortable interacting with you, but interact nonetheless. Learn how to, to explain the gospel from six and a half feet away from something. Learn how to articulate in a new way so that when you're masked up, people can still understand what you're saying. It's important for us to recognize that our constitutional rights do not supersede our kingdom examples. So for, for those of you that are, well, bless God, First Amendment, and blah, 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 okay, you may shut off a whole lot of people. You may not be all things to all men so that you may win some. If you're with somebody that you know they're comfortable and you're comfortable, be comfortable. Green bracelet, whatever. Mask, no mask, whatever. But if you're with someone that you know has instantly shut you off because you just are coming on strong with your First Amendment freedom and they're not there in their space, they're not there in their reality, in their reality they're dealing with someone in their family who may have cancer who may have diabetes who may be immunocompromised who may be already sick and may be in the hospital who may be i don't know they're reading the wrong stuff that's telling them you can catch it by touching a doorknob you know it doesn't who knows and again this isn't a message on on covid this is a message on the spirit of fear and how the spirit of fear has infiltrated the church in this hour and how we have to, like a muddy pig running through your house, get it out. We have no place for the spirit of fear. No place. So I want to read 1 Samuel 17. You can read along. We'll put it up on the, on the wall. Uh, and you can read that way as well. And we're going to look at a very familiar passage of David and Goliath. 
And we're going to stop and we're going to make some correlations along the way. So 1 Samuel, start in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Socha, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Socha and Azekah in Ephes Damim. Now, stay there. Listen to what the scripture actually says here. The Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Socha, which belongs to Judah. This spirit has gathered itself in Judah, in Judah territory. These armies have brought themselves on our turf. Because Judah means praise. And we're to be defined by being people of worship. Our life is a Judah. It's a praise. It's a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Pleasing to Him. And the Philistines want to gather their armies on our doorstep. Now again, please don't hear me say Philistines equaling the medical community or, you know, a certain political affiliation or anything. I'm not saying that. I'm saying a spirit. We have to hear with with Holy Spirit ears. This is a spirit, territorial, spirit warfare, invisible realm message, okay? And, And our response to this. Now, a couple of things. Socha means, in Hebrew, it means uh, bushy or lush. And azeka means to be dug over. And in Ephes uh, Damim, it, it is translated on the edge of blood. So the army of the enemy is gathered between fertility and futility on the edge of blood or on the edge of bloodshed. Is that not where we are in our nation? Aren't we seeing wonderful things and horrible things happening all at the same time? Are we not seeing fertility and futility clashing on our streets? For every California governor gubernatorial edict of not being allowed to sing in church, we're seeing worship happening on the Golden Gate Bridge and thousands being baptized in the ocean. We're seeing futility and fertility clashing all over our nation. Verse 2, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped at the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with the valley in between them. Now, it's interesting here, Saul represents the king of Israel. His name in Hebrew means the desired one. The men of Israel, Israel means God prevails, were gathered together and encamped on the valley of Elah. It means oak. So there, there's prophetic, we're just going to kind of put some prophetic meaning on some of this. We've got God's desired leader. You can connect the dots with this. I'm not going to come right out and say anything like that. God's desired leader. Working with the church, God prevails, Israel, 
gathered together in the valley of Elah. Oak. What's oak? It's sturdy. It's strong. It's rooted. It's immovable. So this is God's plan. God's plan is to bring his desired leader and prevail in a, in a strong and powerful way. But the Philistines are standing on one side and Israel is standing on the other side and this valley is in between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. That word means splendor. From Gath, that word means wine press, and Gath is one of five royal cities. Isn't it interesting that this um, this Goliath that we're facing in Corona, Corona means crown. So we have a splendored Philistinian virus that is trying to impose itself. And right now, there's been a lot of prophetic words that have been released over the nation that we're, that we're dealing with three and possibly five major strongholds over the nation. And it's interesting that Gath is one of five splendored cities where Goliath comes from. All right, so Goliath, keep, pick up, um, keep going in verse, verse uh, four here whose height was six cubits and a span. That's about nine feet, nine inches tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was about 5,000 shekels of bronze, about 125 pounds. And he had had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, And its iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, about 15 pounds. And a shield bearer went before him. So Goliath was a formidable enemy that was serious and not to be messed with. Our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. If you engage the enemy in the flesh... You, you're going to say goodbye to your lunch. He's going to eat it all day long. He'll kick your tail all over, the, all over the battlefield. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of wickedness in high places. Our warfare, our battle is not on Twitter. That's not the battleground. Your warfare, your battleground is not on Facebook. Your warfare and your battleground is not in blasting emails out to everybody. Have you seen this article? Have you seen this video? Watch this. The end of the world is coming. It's horrible. Everybody, the church must gather and pray. Yes, the church must gather and pray, but not because we're being motivated by fear. Because we have a David anointing on our life. We have a Davidic passion in our soul and fire in our, in our spirit that says something's out of place here. Some loudmouth Philistine is telling us we're going to shut down and we're going to not be able to sing and we got a social distance and we can't engage. And this is crazy. Somebody fix this. Let's fix it in the spirit. 
Let's go after the, the, the enemy with the tenacity that this story really happened. This is a real flesh and blood story. But I want us to put this in, in from our perspective. This is how we engage the enemy in the spirit. Because if you go toe to toe with social justice organizations or people of a different political affiliation than you are, and you start battling ideologies in the flesh... We've lost before we've started. But if the Holy Spirit can begin to turn the hearts of men and women and children to Him, which is the end time anointing, the hearts of the fathers turn towards the children, the hearts of the children turn towards the Father. That's our anointing. The Spirit that has been given to the forerunners of the second coming. Same Spirit that was given to John at the first coming. If we're the end time generation, we have an end time anointing that is a forerunner anointing. We're preparing the way for the king to come. Amen? That's our responsibility. It's what we're supposed to do. So we have to realize that there's a vertical warfare at the exact same time there is a horizontal ministry. So we go after the enemy with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the weapons of our warfare, which are spirit weapons. They're not carnal. We pull down those strongholds. But horizontally, we love people where they are. We meet people where they are. We minister to people where they are. We get into their headspace. We get into their comfort zone. If they're comfortable with us close, we're close. If they're comfortable with us at a distance, we're at a distance. But we still are actively engaging the world around us. We're in the decade of, I, I, I forget where I mentioned this before, but we're in the decade of pay in the Hebrew calendar year. It, it, 80 is, is the letter pay, and it means the mouth. So we're in the decade of the mouth. 2020 is a double-handed anointing. So prophetically, right where we are in the decade of pay, in the year of a double-handed anointing, and what is this Spirit telling us to do? Close our mouth, not touch, wash, you know, wash like crazy, all that, but don't use your hands and don't use your mouth. Right? That's, that's where we are right now in America, practically speaking. Don't use your hands and don't use your mouth. Cover it and stay away. Well, isn't it interesting that all of this kind of started breaking out around the beginning of the year? Isn't it interesting that we're now seven months into this thing and the church, the large majority of the church, still aren't meeting at all? The churches that don't have an online presence, shut, just shut. I don't know if they're doing home Bible studies or the pastor's going door to door or making phone calls. I don't know how they're doing it. But they're just not doing anything practically. Churches that have an online presence, hallelujah, they're able to make it. Churches that have reopened, like yours and ours, um, you know, talk about confusing. We meet on Saturday nights and we had a whole series where churches were closed and then churches were open and then staff members got COVID. <laughs> not from the church people. And so we had to close again. We just finished our, hopefully, our last week of, of being online and we'll be face-to-face -face again starting next Saturday. 
But this is a crazy time we're in. But here's what we didn't do. When, when we reopened and then staff members got sick, we didn't not meet. We just moved online. We, we upped our phone calls. We upped our intentionality. We upped Zoom prayer meetings. We, we did anything we could in that season. Back before when churches were actually not declared essential yet, we were having daily worship services. We were doing everything we could online to keep connected, to stay advancing, and to move forward. So, we are, we are advancing the kingdom in this hour. Verse 8. Then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up, set up, put up, or lay in order for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Immigrant is what that word means. Interesting that this is a migrated virus, not from our country. Again, this is not, <laughs> this is a correlation, okay? This is not the, the direct interpretation of this verse. This is a correlation. And you, the servants of Saul, so am I not an immigrant and you, the desired ones? This is what the Spirit is saying to us. I'm not supposed to be here. You are. Yet here I am, and there's none of you to be found. Choose a man for yourself, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now, it's interesting here. I love just pulling the Hebrew out if you don't know already, if you can't tell already. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then, I, then we will be your slaves, is what that word means. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our slaves and serve us, forced by fear to be enslaved, is what that phrase means in Hebrew. So if I prevail against him and kill him, then you'll be our slaves and serve us in fear. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So that word defy means to taunt, Or to jeopardize. The armies of Israel. I defy. I taunt. I call you out. And put you in harm's way on purpose. Let's go. Isn't it interesting that. Even the churches that have been declared essential. By most mayors. Most governors in most states. Some churches are still declared non-essential. And states' rights are prevailing right now. But isn't it interesting that this spirit is standing in the valley saying, bars are essential, you're not. Abortion clinics are essential, you're not. That's what this spirit is doing right now. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody somewhere to stand up and do something that somebody that somewhere is you and here and now you are that david that we're looking for cuz here's what's about to go down 
love this part. This is when the whole story turns. Saul and all of Israel, verse 11, heard these words of the Philistine, and they were dismayed. That word means to be discouraged. That's discouraged. Discouraged. No courage. Suck the courage right out of them. They were discouraged. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, in the Hebrew, really important here. It's the same exact word as you would appear fearful before the presence of God. It's the same word. When the angel of the Lord appeared and I was afraid. When I went into the presence of God and I became afraid. It's the same word. So what the enemy is trying to do for the church is get us to to experience that same awe and reverent fear but for the, for the fear of the virus, the fear of whatever. So it, it's, it's trying to, um, this, the way I say it is when I, when I talk to people who are struggling with how to get a breakthrough in healing or how to get a breakthrough in, in the miraculous or the supernatural. And they, and they come and they start the conversation with, I need faith. Pray for me for faith. And I say to them, and let's say it's for a healing. I say to them, when you have a headache, do you take an aspirin? Yes. Or Tylenol or whatever. Yes. When you're sick, do you go to the doctor? Yes. Okay, so you don't need faith. Faith isn't the problem. Your target is the problem. We need to shift your bullseye from the bottle to the cross. We need to shift your bullseye from the prescription. And, and I'm not against doctors. I've been to many, I've had lots of surgeries, had a gallbladder, had a blowout in my esophagus once. I mean, not against doctors at all, not at all. But again, I go to them first and foremost so I can put a name on what I'm going to do warfare with. They give me a diagnosis and it gives me faith to fight. If I went to a doctor and he said, okay, your enemy today is cancer. Great, I've got a name. I know what I'm fighting against. I don't, oh no, I've got cancer. Which is a legit feeling, and I'm sure I probably would feel something like that. I've experienced despair. I've experienced frustration. I've experienced confusion. But I get out of that as fast as I can and get into faith and get into the Word and get into what did God say because I'm promising you if God gives you a Word it's enough to sustain you through your entire life. One Word. Jesus heard from the Father in the Jordan my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased and it took Him all the way to the cross through the cross and into the resurrection and now seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and me because he knows that he knows that he knows he has favor with the Father. Peter got the revelation. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it was enough for him to hold that testimony all the way to being crucified upside down. One word will shift you into the impossible. But you need that word. So if the doctor's word comes and imparts truth to you, or let me say it this way, imparts facts to you, those facts can never fight the truth of what God says. 
So as, as a believer, facts are, truth is. Facts are, I had COVID. Truth is, COVID didn't have me. Okay? That's so, so I do warfare and I battle against that which is coming at me in the spirit. I didn't yell at the doctors. I didn't yell at the nurses. I didn't get up in their face and do battle and warfare and say to the doctor on the, you know, say to the lady on the test, well, Mr. Bunn, uh, Tarrant County Health Department here, you've tested positive for COVID. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus and you're a crazy lady. I don't have COVID. Click. And I don't do that. Right? I don't do that. I might hang up the phone and do that, but I might hang up the phone and say something like, thank you, Lord, for that bit of information but it's not going to take root and I'm standing on your word. That's what I'm doing with my dad. Doctors are presenting facts and we counter facts with truth. Sometimes those are not incompatible things. Don't get me wrong. Okay, we've got to move on because we're not even to the good part yet. All right. So they were greatly afraid. Again, the, the enemies desire for your life is to discourage you it also means dismayed also means to be broken he wants to break your spirit he wants to break your heart he wants to break uh he wants to get you let me say it this way he wants to get you to defer your hope hope deferred makes the heart sick right we know that scripture that does not mean i really wanted this to happen and it didn't bummer that's not what it means. It means I had my hope in something and I took that hope and I deferred it to something else that was inferior, that failed me, and that let me down. And my heart is sick about that. That's why David said, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Defer to Him. If the Lord holds your hope, He'll never disappoint you. If the Lord holds your hope, it might be confusing as to what he's up to and he might not let you in on all the steps, but he won't fail you. Your heart will never be sick if he holds your hope. So that word dismayed means to be broken, to be discouraged, and then he, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They, they took that fear trembling in the presence of God as the people of God, as God did miracle after miracle after miracle, as they felt when the Red Sea parted, as they felt when the fire descended on Sinai, the same way they felt every time God did a move, the way he, they felt when He spoke from the mountain like a, like a blast of a trumpet, that same fear, the enemy's trying to get it now to set on Him. That's, that's what the devil does. That's what Lucifer was. Lucifer was the worship angel in heaven. And he tried to pull the glory and the worship to himself. He, so he, there's nothing new under the sun. If your heart begins to drift in that way, just recognize it for what it is. And fix it and put it back where it needs to be. And then, you know, pray and take your pill. Okay? It, just do what you need to do. Go where you need to go, see who you need to see, but not because you're fearful. Uh, the, the people that I know, I, I served a doctor for a little over four years as his office manager and staff counselor, and we set up healing rooms and, and counseled dozens and dozens and dozens of patients over those years. 
And I watched patients get a diagnosis and, and we were there to hold their hand and to keep their eyes focused on Jesus. Because too often, like Peter walking on the water, we get a word, we get a diagnosis, we get a professional, authoritative voice slapping us a sticker on us and saying, you have this. And all of a sudden, we, we stop realizing we're meant to walk on water. We're, we're meant to destroy the works of the evil one. That's what Jesus came to do. And now we're faced with, with a different reality. And we have a choice. Same thing happened to Paul when he was shipwrecked, right? He put his hand in the fire and the vipers got onto his hand. And he shook it off. And everybody around us went, he's going to die any second now. No, he's not dying yet. Um, wow, he must be a god. He didn't die. Why didn't Paul die? Had he taken communion that day? Was he really read up on his scriptures? Was he... Was, was he speaking in tongues for 27 hours straight? I mean, why didn't Paul die? I'll tell you why Paul didn't die. Because God gave Paul a word, you will preach the gospel in Rome, and that wasn't Rome. Again, another example of getting a word from the Lord, and it's sustaining you through everything. That is the church's opportunity in this hour, is to present fearful People who are losing it, who don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, what protest is going to rise, what statue is going to be torn down, what city is going to be set on fire, who they know and they love that's going to get sick, or whatever the situation is that they're facing. And we're there in the moment to say, ah, this is not your Rome. Hang on, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't go there. Don't go there. We'll deal with the truth, we'll deal with the facts, we'll deal with the situation as it comes. But keep your eyes on Jesus. I know, it looks like you're not supposed to be walking on water, and here's the storm, and here's the waves. But don't take your eyes off Jesus, or you'll sink. Keep your eyes on Him, no matter what you're facing and what you're going through. So the spirit of Goliath stands to mock and intimidate us in this season, and to enslave us through fear to serve that spirit. He threatened, his threats are designed to break us and to cause us to tremble and to hide and to disengage. That's what Israel was doing. They were there, all dressed for battle, hiding in their tents. Social distancing, crazy, really bad, in a not a good way, right? They were being rocked to the very foundation of who they were. And this is Israel. They serve the living God. But they've forgotten that because reality was standing in front of them nine feet tall, bellowing factual lies. They were real to Goliath. The threat was real to him. And Israel was listening. But then David shows up. Verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, and said to Saul, uh, I'm sorry, in the days of Saul, the three sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul into battle. The names of the three sons that went into battle were 
Eliab, which means God is father, the firstborn. Next to him was Abinadab, which means my father is noble and willing. And the third was Shammah, which means astonishment. So out of Jesse's house, God the Father, who is noble and willing and wanting to astonish Israel, was present in the battle, but hiding in their tents. They had the goods, they just didn't know how to use it. They didn't know. They didn't act on what they were named and called by God to be. All three of them were present. God is Father, the Father is willing, and astonishment. All three were present. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David stands as one who comes from the reality that God is Father, he is willing, and if we allow him, he will astonish us. David already understands that because he spent time with the Lord while he's tending sheep. He's in God's face all the time. He's a man after God's own heart. Verse 16, And the Philistines drew near to the pr- and presented himself for 40 days. Guess what the word quarantine means? 40 days. So this Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers and at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain and their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, which means to set in order, fighting the Philistines. But they weren't really fighting the Philistines. They were standing there being intimidated by the Philistines. Verse 20, so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. So David is on assignment from his father. And he came to the camp of the army, I'm sorry, as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. You know what that word means in the Hebrew? Dreadfully afraid. It's a great translation. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Isn't it interesting that in America, the church is a 501c3? I'm just trying to get you to connect some dots here this morning. That's all, okay? That's it. So, every day 
for 40 days. Goliath taunts, defies, and intimidates the armies of Israel. But this time, David hears it. And when the armies of Israel are hiding, David hears it. Verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. So they just reiterated, no taxes, lots of wealth from the king, and you get his daughter. But listen to what David is focusing on in this passage. He's not saying, how much money will I get? He's not saying, wait, which daughter is the king going to give me? He's saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Not how much money am I going to get? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David wasn't there to see the battle. David was on assignment to obey his father. If God tells you to go walk amongst a group of protesters and love on him and pray for him, go. Don't just go because you want to go. You might not make it back, depending on who's there. But if God tells you to go, go. Go on assignment from your father. So his family attacks him and comes after his character and his reputation, but notice they didn't come after his heart. They just came after his character. I know your pride. I know your insolence. You're just here just to see what's going on. You're just being nosy. Not so. David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Can that be the church's battle cry in this hour? Is there not a cause? Some stuff, some crazy stuff is going on in our country right now. Is there not a cause? Guys, even if they outlaw Jesus tomorrow, you'll be okay. I get Christians all the time that come to me and they're like, oh, did you find, they found an ossuary in, uh, they found one of those little barrel boxes, that's what an ossuary is. They found an ossuary in Israel and it had Jesus, son of Joseph, carved in the, in the box and they opened it up and there were bones in the They found Jesus' bones. No, they didn't. It could say, here lies Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, who healed millions and went to the cross on Calvary. It's still not him. They outlaw, oh, Pastor John, years and years and years ago, the last temptation of Christ was released. We've got to do something. No, we don't. The the gospel has been assaulted for 2,000 years, and it's still here. The church has been persecuted. Christians all around the globe have lost their life for the gospel, and it's still here. We have... 
thousands of Christians, millions of Christians, I'll say, who are looking for the rapture, for the escape hatch. They're trying to get off the planet, and God said, pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is trying to get on the globe, and we're trying to get off it. We're kicking against the pricks. We've got to stop. We, we don't need to be watching preppers. End time preppers. We don't just like, don't watch that stuff. Because that's not what God's called you to do. Listen, right now, the rapture is in such hot debate, whether it's pre-trib or post-trib or no rapture at all, or the rapture is at the second coming when we go out of, uh, uh, like the bridal party did, we go out of the city to meet Him to come right back down for the millennial reign. There's all kinds of theology and theory out there about it. So which one's right? I don't know, but if you're counting on one and preparing for one and they missed it, now what? I'd rather prepare to go all the way through the tribulation and get to go early. I'd love that. I would love that. But if I prepare to go early and wait a minute, um, that didn't mean that because we're still here. <laughs> I mean, what if that happened? Seriously. Now, I know as a denomination, I know as a statement of faith, I know the 16 fundamental truths, I know what AG preaches, and I'm right there, but what if they missed it? Because the post-tribbers are just as convinced, Right? I'm not here to mess with your theology on the rapture. I'm here to say, in your heart, preach, believe, expect, stand in the front of the line waiting for that trumpet to come. But please, dear God, be ready if you accidentally aligned with a theology that misinterpreted a scripture or two or ten. Because it can happen, right? Everybody, when Hitler was around, thought he was the Antichrist and the end was coming. It's been a, been a few decades since that reality didn't pan out. So I'm just saying, lots of words are out there. <clears throat> There's a word out there right now that <clears throat> D.C. is going to be on fire and Russia and China are going to be marching the streets in U.N. Uh, garb by November. Okay, <clears throat> no. <laughs> I love you, but no. If the church does nothing, maybe. If we don't arise as the ecclesia and stand our ground and prophesy and preach and proclaim and declare and do vertical warfare in the spirit realm and take the weapons of our warfare and start pulling down some strongholds, yeah, I could see that. I don't know about by November maybe, but I could see that. I'm not, dis- I'm not putting a disparaging... Uh, mark on the pastor who had those dreams that's been circulating and, and it's getting way more press, circulation, and popularity than the literally hundreds, I can take you to them, of words that have also been released by legit prophets who have a track record who said, we're about to enter the billion soul harvest. We're about to enter the church's finest hour. We're about to usher in the kingdom of God at such an unprecedented way that it will make the previous great awakenings pale in comparison. And this is going to be a global harvest. 
And America has the opportunity to lead in that. But if the prophetic word that's circulating causes you to partner with the spirit of fear and go buy a hundred acres somewhere or hunker in the bunker until it's all over, then we'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy of a warning rather than shifting off of that warning into the potential that God wants to see happen. We have to align ourselves with the kingdom. The darker it gets, the brighter our light. You go into a pitch black room with a, with a match and you've changed the atmosphere. We are to be running to the battle like David does here. So let's pick it up here now in, in uh, verse 29. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned toward him, he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. So David's standing before the king, and he says, Tell your people, take heart. Don't let anybody's heart fail. Even the governor is coming against David. Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Just Google all the decrees that have been leveled against the church since the beginning of this thing. And they're all saying that. You can't do that. You can't fight that. You can't resist this. And if you try to, we'll close you. New York City governor. New York State mayor. Who, by the way, were just held up as the model of how to deal with COVID. By the highest medical, well not the highest, but one of the highest medical voices in the the corona issue right now. Who prophetically, was shown to be a rat. I'm not going to say any names. Okay. Spiritual dream, there's a rat in the White House. And he just said, New York, that's the model. Yeah, good luck with that. Okay. So even the governing officials are telling David that he cannot win and does not have the experience. And David is convinced that with God, he can win and restore others' hope. So, where are the Davids in this generation that will run into this battle and fight this spirit on a spiritual warfare battlefield with spiritual warfare weapons of intercession, declaration, the baptism and fire of the Holy Ghost, signs, wonders, and miracles? That will flip this thing. Come near somebody, I have COVID. That's okay. Jesus doesn't. Be healed. You want to flatten a curve? Pray in tongues for a while. Get an assignment from the Holy Ghost and start flattening the curve with anybody you come in contact with. That's a, that's a way to flatten the curve. Now, there's also another way to flatten the curve, which is what we're currently doing. And the curve's not flattening. So maybe God's way might work. Just a suggestion. Verse 34. 
But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came to look uh, and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Now, think about you. You're tending sheep. Here come a lion. You got a flock. One sheep gets snatched. What are you going to do? Man, that's a bummer. If I leave, then these sheep are in danger. No, we go after. We don't let the devil pick anybody off for any reason at any time, and we just sit there and watch it happen. Right? And we don't just run after and say, hey, let go of that, let go of that lamb. No, it let go. I delivered the lamb out of its mouth, and when it turned and came after me, I dealt with it. I got this, king. It's good. I, I can handle this. Your, and uh, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So David recalled his private battles and his private victories, and he puts Goliath on the same level. Do you have any spiritual victory in your life at all? Put this on the same level. Well, this is really big. No, it isn't. Because you're not the one that's going to win. God delivered David from the paw. God delivered David from the hand. This is all about what God can do through you if you're present to actually let him do it. All right, moving quickly. So, we all know the, the next passage, we'll skip that part. This is where David give, or Saul gives David his armor, and David's like, I can't do it, I can't do this. What's the, what's the takeaway from that? He recognized that he could not do battle in someone else's armor. You might be inspired by another warrior in the kingdom, but you've got your own battle and your own skill set that God wants to use. And he could not fight according to someone else's parameters. You've got to get your word in this hour. So, David, verse 40, took his staff in hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And that word comes, the word for brook there in the Hebrew comes from the root meaning to take possession. And he put them in his shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So what's our response in this hour? Attack. Go. Press in. David goes towards the battle to face the enemy head on. So the Philistine came and began to draw near to David. And the men who bore the shield went before him. The man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, his disdain, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. So here's Goliath standing, calling David by name, and Gideon the whole thing. 
Cursing God by the name of the living God. Cursing David by the name of the living God. This spirit in our nation right now is that bold. It is that defiant. It is coming at us with an intent and a purpose. Because make no mistake, the shutdown is not about Trump. The shutdown is targeted at the Son of the living God. Because the devil hates him and all who serve him. And if he can wound the church by shutting it down, if he can wound you personally by shutting your business down, if he can make your life complicated by shutting all these other things down, he will do whatever he can so that the name of God and the name of Christ is messed with and besmirched. I don't even know what that word means, but okay. So we see a constant threat to our religious freedoms from many different directions. Now, David's response to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, conventional weapons, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, supernatural weapons. David knows where this battle's being fought. Even if nobody else does. And then God, and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you. So David already knows, I'm not going to win this battle. God's going to win this battle. He will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David knows exactly what needs to be done, and David knows that any earthly victory comes from a heavenly solution. And David is not just going against Goliath. He's going against the entire army of the Philistines. God's not going to just deliver you into my hand, but the whole army is going to be carcass food for the birds. Where is that in the church today? Okay. A while back here, got a couple of minutes here and we're going to wrap up. A while back, the Lord gave me a prophetic word for intercession. And we're probably going to close with this. You know the rest of the story. David wins. It's awesome. Right? So this prophetic word that, that the Lord gave me was specifically about intercession. And he gave it to me back in October of 2019. And I want to release this to you because this is where we are. This is, this is way before Corona, way before anything like that. I heard the Lord say this morning at twilight, intercession must increase over Fort Worth. That includes you guys, the DFW Metroplex. But specifically, our assignment is that city. He said, I desire to raise up and call out ninja-type warriors who will take the fight to the enemy. I desire to see this city set free and my glory and my kingdom manifest here. A holy pushback is required. Strongholds and nests of the enemy that the enemy has formed as a part of his strategy need to be burned out by my holy fire, for I am a consuming and purifying fire. 
You have struck in the past. Be ready to strike again. The ground is softening, but the uprooting is still required. My warrior bride, my giant killers, my ninja sheep. Warfare and worship. Worship and warfare. Loving and serving in the natural realms and striking and slaying in the spiritual realms. These are the forms of warfare for you in the days ahead. Do not fear this, for I am with you. I will set my angels charge over you, and you will partner with them in the days ahead for the warfare over the city. Remember my servant Daniel. My angelic hosts waged war over him and with him. They battled together in the heavenlies with my holy angels who were present for him in the lion's den. And my heart for, uh, and his heart for me and love for me and obedience to my word and voice made all the difference. Yes, spiritual bloodshed is coming. Yes, you will swing the sword of my word and hurl the stones, arrows, and javelins of my word in prophecy and in declaration. And my holy angels will slay the enemy. Together we will cleanse the city and make way for revival. And the unique distinction of this city as a city of God in the days ahead, says the Lord. I desire to move quickly. And you must position yourself to move with my spirit because certain targets will have smaller windows of opportunity to strike than others and a mission-critical window to act will be needed. Do not fear retaliation or backlash because the enemy is about to be removed from your midst, from my midst in this city. With the streets free and the atmosphere cleansed, my voice will be heard and repentance will be the new norm. Worship will elevate. Devotion will increase. Holiness will be the new garment and righteousness its crown. I am coming and I am already here. I am a bloody savior and I have a bloody bride. Put a demand on my blood and my angelic warriors to wash this city in that blood. Hidden in me, nothing is impossible. See, I am among you, and I am with you, and I am going to have this city for my glory, and we all will steward it, increase it, protect it, multiply it, and advance it together. Now, word on spiritual bloodshed. Because when I shared this with some people, they're like, dude, what are we, jihad, what is this? I'm like, no. It was very much related to the destruction of the enemy, the slaying, the routing of demonic forces by angelic forces. I did not, I did have an impression that there would be actual removal of physical locations, abortion clinics closing, pornography establishments closing, bars flipped to churches, all that kind of stuff. So I I did sense that there would be an actual removal of physical locations that would flip to kingdom control and that might be constituted as like a violent take it by force kind of thing. I did not get the impression of actual bloodshed, although the devil is a murderer and has been from the beginning, but not from us. However, I felt like slaying Goliath in the spirit realm, and I saw massive beheadings of spiritual principalities, which would be the real spiritual bloodshed. The big thing, the big takeaway was that the enemy was being removed. Not wounded 
and going off and licking its wounds and getting better and coming back, removed. The territory is being cleared and the atmosphere is being cleansed. So where do we need to be in this hour? What do we need to be doing in this hour? We need to be running towards the battle. We need to be prayed up. We need to be fasting. We need to be in the word. We need to know what we're declaring. We need to open our mouth. Right? Psalms says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. So we speak with the sword. We swing with the sword. We're in a spiritual battle dealing with spiritual targets. If something hits your family, you need to run into that thing and get it out. Even if in doing that, you endure the entirety of that process. Every day I was fasting, praying, seeking God, taking 14 days to get over COVID. Not 10 seconds, but I'm contending for two seconds. I'm contending for the first signs. Uh Uh-uh, no, we're not doing this, go. And be gone, right? That's what Jesus did and we're to do greater works. So we, we, we knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Amen? So that is, that is our call. That is what we're to do. And you know the end of the story where David comes out victorious. We'll go to the last slide. When the church, the ecclesia, that word means, by the way, gathered ones. It's a governmental word. We are to be legislating as the church. The ecclesia. When the church rises to meet the Goliaths of our day, God will deliver them into our hands. We will become victors and problem solvers. We will be super, there will be supernatural provision to do it. We will motivate others to join the fight, and others will want to know more about our father. That was Saul's response to David. David won the battle, and with giant head in hand, he's brought into Saul's presence, and Saul says, who's your father? Come on, church. You become a problem solver, you become a giant slayer, and everybody around you is going to be, how did you do that? Well, let me tell you about my father. Come on. We have an opportunity. It's not a time to run and hide. It's a time to head in, headlong into battle. And lastly, we will successfully advance the kingdom in this world. That is our mandate. Jesus said, kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you. And uh, let's, let's, let's kick some tail. Let's kick some giant butt. <laughs> Can I say that from the pulpit? Let's kick some giant butt. Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many appreciated that word? I hope you did. We're in a battle, folk.